Thank you so much to our sanctuary choir and to our sign choir. I want Rebecca Dunning to come up here with me. I'm going to have her. She has the brightest smile in all of the church. And uh, she has been in our sign choir for so many, how many years, Rebecca? Mm, Eight. Eight years, something like that, maybe more. But she's going to read our scripture for us today. So I'd like for you to turn to John, the 10th chapter, beginning with the 7th verse. And I'd like for us all to stand for the reading of God's word. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is the reading of God's word, God's word for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. That was awesome. I think we ought to give Rebecca a hand for such a great job. Now you go sit out there so I can see your bright shining face now. Today, we're continuing our focus on the I am sayings of John, and we're going back to the 10th chapter of John's gospel. Jesus is talking about how we receive a gift that he wants to give to us. I love the 10th chapter of John's gospel because it talks about this gift being abundant life. Uh, We know that verse so well, I have come that you may have life and have life more abundantly. You know, sometimes John's gospel is referred to as the gospel of life because life is mentioned so many times throughout the gospel. But we also know that John um, is famous for the I am sayings of Jesus. And a few weeks ago, we looked in the 10th chapter following that verse about the, the abundant life. We talked about Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And today, somewhat of a sequel, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. 
I want us to note first, however, that Jesus didn't first say these I am sayings. This is a rich biblical tradition related to God. It goes all the way back to that famous conversation that Moses had with God. You remember it. How Moses had this um, assignment by God to talk to the Pharaoh and to tell the Pharaoh that God had told him to let the Israelites go into freedom. And Moses was trying to get things straight as we read in the Exodus. He said, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you and they ask me, what is this God's name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. And then again at the end of the Bible, in the book of the Revelation, we have the Christ in a long flowing robe with a gold sash. And Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and see, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of hell and death because I live, you also shall live. And today, the I am saying that Rebecca read so well, I am the gate. I am the gate. You know, a few weeks ago when Scott was preaching on the good shepherd, he made this reference about sheep and he looked back at me as if I knew what a sheep cost. And I told him, I don't do sheep. I didn't have a clue what a sheep would cost. But today, um, we're not really talking about sheep. We're talking about gates. And I know all about gates. Now, I want to tell you how you can tell the difference in a country boy and a city boy. And I'm both, okay? You can tell the difference because when a country boy, um, when you're riding in the truck or the vehicle with a country boy, he'll always let you sit in the best seat in the vehicle. And that is the seat right beside the door on the passenger side. Do you know why? How many country boys and girls do we have in the room? Yep. That's the gate seat. What looks like is a, um, an offer of hospitality is really getting you into a chore that every time you stop in front of a gate, the driver will look at you and you're the one to open the gate. Now, I remember as a little boy wrestling with a type of gate. I've told you about this before, but I'm sure you've forgotten. It was called a gap gate, and I'm going to have to illustrate a gap gate. How many of you know what a gap gate is? Yeah, just a few. Well, a gap gate is a gate that's about 10 feet wide, okay? It's got about four or maybe five strands of barbed wire between two cedar posts. There's a cedar post over here that is affixed with a barbed wire loop at the bottom and a barbed wire loop at the top, and it's stapled to that barbed wire loop, and it's intact, held by a tree, or a cross tie that is solid and secure. And then on the other side, there's another cedar post. And this cedar post is loose. But 
on this cross tie or tree, there's another loop at the bottom and the loop at the top. And this fence or gate stands about this tall. So in order to shut the gap gate, you have to put a shoulder on that cedar post and hug the stationary post and pull it to you until you can loop the top. And then you have the gate secure. Do you understand or do I need to go through it again? <laughs> That's a gap gate. And I can remember as a, a, a little boy riding to my grandmother's farm, which is now where my parents are building their house. I, I remember that um, there was a gap gate that we always pulled up to. And I can remember as a little boy the ritual. It was easy to unlatch the gap gate. It was much more difficult to latch it. And when we'd be leaving the farm and we'd park at the gate, I'd jump out of the truck and I'd go to that gap gate and I would try with all of my might to pull. Perry, you know what I'm talking about. Until I could loop it and, 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 and I just couldn't do it. And dad would park the pickup and he'd get out and he'd show me again how it was done. I knew how it was done. I didn't have the strength to do it. But then that day, that day came when everything was in order. And I got out of that truck and that particular time I could secure the gap gate. It was like a rite of passage. I had arrived. You know, for a little boy who is charged with... Um, Securing the gate, it was not a chore to be in the gate seat. It was a challenge. And when that day finally came that I could latch the gate, it was a rite of passage. But I also remember many gates in East Texas had signs on them that said, keep out or no trespassing. And sometimes those gates were even colored with purple paint. Do you know what purple paint means? I thought at first it was just a way to make your gate look pretty. But purple is an unwritten rule that states to all who know the rule, no trespassing. So anytime you see purple gate on a fence and you're wondering why is that gate painted purple or that uh, post painted purple, it makes a statement, keep out. So some gates are there just to keep people out. And you know at ball games we go through gates too, don't we? Turnstiles. You, you know the feeling you have bought a ticket, you have paid a price. And you go through that turnstile and it, it counts you. And it counts all the people who have bought a ticket and paid a price. And you can't get in unless you've bought and paid. Then you're in. And perhaps the most memorable gate that I've experienced here at Lover's Lane was when we started ministry down at the pallage unit and for the first time going through the gates of a prison. You go through and you get into this little holding area and the gate slams shut behind you and there's a buzzer that goes off. So some gates are actually meant to keep people in. So gates in life don't always have positive images associated with them. Sometimes those images are keep out. Sometimes those images are you can't enter without pay. Sometimes those images are you've got to stay in. You have no choice. But not with Jesus. When Jesus said, I am the gate, 
Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come and go and find pasture. To say comes in and goes out in Hebrew literally meant uh, freedom. For when the gates were those gates that you could come in and go out, it was literally freedom. It meant that there was safety and security in the land. That the country was in a time of peace when the gate was one that you could come in and go out. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, when we read that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, you know that that literally means that Jesus would lay down his life. Some would say paid a price for redemption. And we associate that laying down with the cross. But before that, Jesus, in speaking of laying down his life, was referring to a hillside sheepfold. And the good shepherd who cared for the sheep. Now I want to come back out here again because I'm going to have to do another illustration. A sheepfold in Judea was actually built by a shepherd. And in some cases, centuries of shepherds had built these sheepfolds on the hillsides of Judea. And what we need to know that there's no more lowly profession than the profession of a shepherd. And there's no more important person to the sheep than the shepherd. Because the shepherd knew the importance of a sheepfold. These sheepfolds would be built with that, um, the rocks that you'd find on the hillside. And through the years, these sheepfolds, one rock placed on top of the other in a circular fashion until you you built that sheepfold up to be about this tall so that sheep couldn't get out once they got in and more importantly nothing could get in to bother the sheep but the sheepfold also involved a gap now they didn't know about gap gates in the Judean hillside The gap was where the sheep came in. The gap was where the sheep went out. That gap was not a very clean place to be. But guess where the shepherd spent the night? The good shepherd was the gate. The good shepherd slept in the gap so that no sheep would come in or go out that the shepherd didn't know his name, the particular way he towed in or towed out, or the color that was just a little bit off on the face. The shepherd knew the sheep. And more importantly, the shepherd knew the wolves and the bandits and the other things that couldn't come in without the shepherd's permission. So when Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep and I am the good shepherd, Jesus is talking about being one and the same, gate and good shepherd. 
laying down his life for the sheep. And when Jesus, when we know Jesus as the good shepherd, we know this gate is one that is not posted, keep out. Not posted, no trespassing. On this gate, there is no ticket required, no cost to get in on the part of those who enter. On this gate, those are on the other side are not confined to be condemned, but they are in essence free through the safety and security they have in the sheepfold. Through this gate and the good shepherd, Jesus, all have an open invitation to come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you peace, rest, safety, security, freedom in the midst of the sheepfold. Through this gate, the good shepherd Jesus has bought with the price of grace our entrance. Through this gate, the good shepherd Jesus knows by name all who enter and are forgiven and inherit eternal life. You know, the question for us this morning is, do we know that invitation to rest and to peace and security and safety and freedom through the person of the gate, through the person of the good shepherd? You know, in our beautiful shepherd's garden, we have not only the the I am sayings of John uplifted, and I see people every day in that garden, but we also have the great statement of the good shepherd from the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It almost sounds like a sheep lullaby, the 23rd Psalm. It almost sounds like what God would want all of his sheep, that's you and me, to know. It almost sounds like that lullaby of peace and rest that sounds so pleasing to our ears. But you know, I want to say something else. I think our proper understanding of this particular passage of Jesus being the gate has more to do with how we go out than how we come in. For how we go out through the gate, the good shepherd, is to go out in his love and in his care and sharing his love and his care with the world in need. You know, ever so often we meet one of those faith examples, a a living example of the kind of love and care I'm talking about right now. Someone who undoubtedly has gone in to the shepherd, but also has come out to share that love with others. You know, for the last several days, we have been reminiscing and giving God thanks for First Lady 
Barbara Bush. You know, first ladies in our country have a special place in our hearts of awe and honor, don't they? I mean, sometimes we don't uh, give their their husbands the same um, awe and honor that we give the first ladies, right? May it always be so. But when we think of first ladies, oftentimes our minds go to glamour or brilliance or causes that they support. But as I've been reflecting the last few days on Barbara Bush's life and how her life and her impact made an impact on me, I've thought about this woman of candor and strength and faith that made you want to follow her lead. I've thought about my earlier ministry in Houston in the 1980s, how I myself was struggling with leukemia and how the Bushes brought to the forefront their daughter, Robin, who died with leukemia at the age of three, nearly four. But I also remembered how in the 1980s, there was another mysterious blood disease. It wasn't leukemia, but it was running rampant and it was scary and it was AIDS. It was sometimes called the gay plague, plague that just didn't seem right. And no big city was suffering any worse than Houston. So in my late 20s, there I was in charge of congregational care for a 14,000-member congregation. And I was visiting in the hospital people who were literally dying a horrible death with AIDS. I can see their faces in my mind's eye. Quite a few of them were young. Some were even babies. And at the time, many Americans wrongly believed that you could contract HIV simply by touching someone who had the virus. It was crazy. It was at a time that a Houston hero who was in Washington, D.C. with her husband, who had recently been elected president of the United States, Barbara Bush came to the forefront 30 years ago. In 1988, Mrs. Bush persuaded her husband to visit an AIDS clinic during the presidential campaign and acknowledged the epidemic that was ravaging this country and that many politicians were shrinking from. Not Barbara Bush. And just two months after becoming First Lady, she paid a historic visit to one of the nation's first homes created to care for AIDS-infected infants. To diffuse the stigma, Mrs. Bush cradled an infant, kissed a toddler, and hugged an adult AIDS patient. And she said to a nation that was struggling uh, mightily with this epidemic, You can hug and you can pick up AIDS babies. And people who have HIV virus need hugs too. Without hurting yourself, she told us, there is a need not for fear, 
but compassion. The first lady's hour-long visit, which generated immense national media coverage, some would say was an act of humanity, and yes, it was. But those of us who knew what made Barbara Bush tick knew it was an act of her faith, her Christian faith that pushed her to acts of the highest ethics and the greatest compassion. The Washington Post journalist Jonathan Capehart writes, Barbara Bush broke the shameful silence with a hug and with her voice. She saved lives that day by bringing attention to those who were ignored. And in her 1994 memoir, Barbara Bush recalled her trip to the townhouse in Logan uh, Circle. She said, I especially remember a young man who told us that he had been asked to leave the church studies when it was discovered that he had AIDS. She wrote, his parents had also disowned him and he said he longed to be hugged again by his mother. And then Barbara Bush shared in Barbara Bush form, and I'm a poor excuse for his mother. But I hugged that darling young man. But what he really needed was a family. Tom Rosher, who would later be a speechwriter for Bill Clinton, lost a brother to AIDS around this time. And he knew the man that she hugged and spoke about in her memoir. He wrote, In a time of ignorance, her wise touch erased the sting of exclusion for my friend and for others. Thank you, Mrs. Bush. And no president took on the AIDS epidemic worldwide any stronger and with any more resolve than her son, George W. She would say, he would say, I was just following my mom's example. Now, friends, in this day of divided politics and partisan concern. I think this week has been a breath of fresh air personally. And I've seen people breathing it from the humanitarian side. But the breath that I've received has been in knowing of Barbara Bush's Christian faith that led to her convictions and pointed us in the direction of the one she knew as the gate, the one she knew as the good shepherd. Now for 20 years I've been doing something like this. Some people have even left the church over it. <laughs> God love them. But I want to close with a hymn that is a prayer. 
Oh, it's a popular hymn. It's been in over a thousand different hymnals. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures, feed us. For thy use, thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us by the heart. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us thy we heart. of our way keep thy flock from sin defend us seek us when we go astray blessed Jesus blessed Jesus oh hear us when we pray Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, hear, oh, hear us when we pray. Thou hast promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we be. Thou hast mercy to relieve us, grace to cleanse and power to free. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, early let us turn to Thee. Blessed Jesus, Blessed Jesus, early let us turn to Thee. Lord God, here we are, your sheep. And we're so thankful that you and Jesus are the gate, the good shepherd. Lord, we're thankful that we know the security and the safety and the freedom of being in your fold. But Lord, we're most thankful for the way that you send us out. The way you call us to be your love in the world. 
way you call us to share with others who need a family. So Lord, remind us where we get that. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, early let us turn to Thee. Amen.